Today we are in Hebrews chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 13. Look at how Jesus' rest is greater. And it's this practice of rest that we get to participate in. We practice rest in Christ, which is going to be our five points that we'll be looking at today. Chapter 4 continues the warning to unbelievers that began in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. And throughout this section, the writer of Hebrews illustrates his point with the nation of Israel. That's what he's focusing on. He's writing about the nation of Israel. How the Israelites left Egypt but were stopped short of the land of Cana to fulfill the fullness of God's rest in their life. Now the warning is not to do what Israel did, but rather to enter God's rest through faith in Christ Jesus. It's the greatest kind of rest we can have. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, He says, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The greatest type of rest that we can receive is rest in Christ. Now does that mean uh, that, that Christ is going to give you the most snuggly blanket and give you the best sleeping movie and the best dog or cat or girl looking on the couch? No, that's not the kind of rest God's talking about here. He's talking about the kind of rest that you can have spiritually. A rest where you can say that I and God are on terms. We're together now. There's no more enmity between me and Christ. There's no more conflict between me and God. He is now my Father. It's the kind of rest that I can truly have. I don't have to be burdened with what's going to happen to me if God were to call upon my last breath right now. I have rest, and I can rest in God. So let me fill you in on what this rest of God means. We have this promise of rest from verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. There is a promise for you and I today to enter into the rest of God. Now, what does that mean? What came before in God's rest? What came before? It was an ability for Hebrew Christians to enjoy Christ without giving in to the pressure to engage in the Old Testament rituals again. We don't have to go back and do all the things in the Old Testament. Now we have rest in Christ. And that's the best rest we can have because we know He did the work. We don't have to do the work, but we should work for Christ, not, not to get to Christ. Christ did all the work. We get to rest in it. So what came before in God's rest? What comes immediately after God's rest? It is similar to the seventh day of creation. The promised land rest Joshua led Israel into and the Sabbath rest that God instituted for Israel. It's similar to that. What comes immediately after God's rest? And then what comes eventually? What comes later in the future with God's rest? What comes with that? Well, the Scripture talks about that later on in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, and then also in chapter 12. It talks about the place, the rest that will eventually come. We have a future home. We have a future home that has, that has its foundations. It's a real place. It tells us that in Hebrews 11.10. It tells us in 11.14 that this future rest is our homeland. First Peter tells us that we are as aliens and strangers under this world to abstain from the sinful desires which war against our souls. We have a land. We have a home. This future, it's away from you. This, this uh, what comes eventually after God's rest? 
is our heavenly country and sea. Verse 16 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's also the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We find that in Hebrews 12, verse 22. And then in verse 28, that same chapter, it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it's also the lasting city that is to come. We find that in chapter 13, verse 14 of Hebrews. So we have a rest that will come in the future, that will come eventually. And it's secure. It's not going anywhere. So we can have rest in that. We have rest in Christ. And through Christ, we have this extended rest that is wonderful, beautiful, and gives us an opportunity to live in that rest and serve from that rest. It sets for us, when we have that rest, and we know these things, we know the rest before, we know the rest immediately after, and we know our future rest, it gives us a present residence of rest in our life today. We have a present residence of rest in our lives today. And all through this passage today, it is a compelling to come to that rest. Come to that rest. For many of you in your Bibles right now, if you're looking at it, the title of this portion of the chapter is entitled, The Promise of Rest. That promise of rest comes through Jesus Christ. Not through any other way. Not through any other way. So today, we want to think about this rest. I want to compel you to come into this rest because there is a challenge, there is a difference of living apart from this godly rest, a difference between living in this uh, in a godly rest and living outside of that rest. So what is that? What is the difference in those two? Well, first off, there's no more slave-like relationship with God, but a life abiding in His grace. It's a life abiding in grace. There's no more dead religion. There's no more dead religion, but life and joy with Him. No more dreadful worry or fear when you have Christ and the rest of Christ, but now freedom in and through His love. There's no more, uh, if you will, DIY. You know what that is? Some of you fix your own houses. It's do it yourself. There's no more DIY for righteousness. It's not do it yourself. It's all been done by Christ, but receiving and thriving in the righteousness of Christ and in what He's done. In what He's done. And no more do we merely speak of this rest. We don't just speak of this rest that may be available, that could be available. But for those of us who know Christ, there is unity in words and action. There's peace, there's love, there's joy, and there's freedom in this rest that we're able to receive. So how will we receive this rest that God uh, is, is giving us clear understanding of through the author of Hebrews. It is today. Today you can participate to be a part of that rest. This experience today, it's, it's a rest that is direct and it's personal to each and every one of us. You know, at the closing of our lesson this morning in Sunday school, Peter asked this question to Jesus. Well, what about him? What about John? God's saying, don't worry about the rest that I give John, basically. Don't worry about it. If it's my will that he stay until I return, that's, that's none of your business. You follow me. You rest in me. 
risk. Don't worry about what's happening to everybody that's around you. You risk in Christ. Rest in Him and Him alone. So here's five practices within God's rest that we can glean from this text that we're looking at today. So let's first look in, verse, in, uh, in verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 4. It says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, we're going to focus here for just a moment, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mentioned with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as it is as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And I'm going to stop right there for right now. Let's go back and let's look at the first part there. Uh, or the latter part, excuse me, because we've already looked at the first half of verse 1. Let's look at the latter part of chapter 4, verse 1. It says, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. That is the rest of God. Now, paranoia is not the thrust of this type of fear. Some people have a paranoia type fear. And this is not what this is talking about. It's also not talking about a reverence of God at this very moment in this particular text. Now, uh, Oliver Green wrote this in his commentary. He said, on the surface, this might appear contradictory to other scriptures. Where believers are called to fear not. We know, and you may have heard this before, in, in the context of the entire Bible, the idea of not fearing or do not fear is said 365 times. That's enough to cover each day of the year. That's, that's, that's given that many times. Somewhere, it may not be in that particular word, do not fear, that phrasing, but overall, it's said that many times. So, so what does this mean? Well, scriptures such as Isaiah 41, 10, Isaiah 43, 1, John 14, 27, 2 Timothy 1, 7, and 1 Peter 2, 17 are all the type of verses that call for us to not fear. But right here, he says, let us fear. So the only way to harmonize these seemingly contradictory passages is to rightly divide the Word of God. Rightly divide the Word of God. Fear is good or it is evil. It's either good or evil. There's no gray. If we fear God in the right manner, godly fear works repentance. But if we fear God as the demons fear Him, we read that in James 2.19, then fear is evil and will lead us to feel that God is a tyrant. And such fear will eventually lead to hatred. Godly fear creates love. But fear such as the demons have toward God creates an attitude of distrust. That's from Oliver Green and his commentary. So we have got to understand what this fear is. And there are a multitude of verses on healthy fear in the Bible. And this fear is a healthy fear that we're talking about here. Let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. This is a fear of concern. On behalf of someone that may not have come to faith in Christ yet or are struggling in their faith in Christ. It's a healthy fear. We should be concerned. It's more of a concern than it is a fear. But we should fear. We don't want anybody's souls to go to hell. So we should desire them to come to faith. 
this rest that we're speaking of this morning. So the question is, is how, do some, how does someone reach this rest? And does someone want to reach this rest? Does someone want to reach this rest? And we as believers should be fearful, or we should fear the idea of the idea of I'm saved, I'm sealed, I'm good mentality. You know, that's a common thing. People say, well, perseverance of the saints, or, you know, once saved, always saved. And you leave it at that, and you don't grow. You don't grow in your faith. You don't grow. You just stagnate. You get stuck in one place, and you're never in rest with God. We've got to pursue that rest, and that life that, that's stagnant, it's the I'm good, I'm sealed, I'm okay. That's much like those, it's like those who wander in the wilderness type of mentality. We're good, we don't have to go in there. God's going to take care of us, we can wander about. And that's what a lot of churches are in today. They're in this wandering wilderness mentality, going round and around, doing the same thing over and over and over. And I've always heard it said, if you think doing the same thing over and over and expecting things to change, that's the definition of insanity. We gotta do something different. And he says, if you want to enter that rest, you gotta do something different. You gotta do something different. We must not only reach that rest, but abide in that rest. There in verses two through three, that scripture tells us about those who did not receive the rest that they desired. They didn't have that rest that they desired. And he says, all right, the latter part of that, he swore in his wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So why didn't that generation, that generation that was exiting Egypt, that Exodus generation, why did they not go into the promised land? It's because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Who listened? Joshua and Caleb listened. Joshua and Caleb. And as we know, later on, they're the only two out of the group of spies that entered into the promised land. They're the only two. They listened because they combined faith and, 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 and ability and trusting in Christ and God that he knew what was right. They believed in God's power. They believed his word. They believed in his ability. So they were able to enter that rest, that promised land rest. The unbelieving Lack of trust kept them out of God's best for their lives. For 40 years, God wanted that old generation that didn't believe to die off. And unfortunately, that happens sometimes in lives. God says, you know what? They're not believing. They're not, they're not entering my rest. They're not doing what I'm asking them to do. It's just going to die off. And I'm going to start off afresh. I'm going to start off with this new generation. And they're going to see my faithfulness while these others did not. You've got to combine the two. So we must prioritize this practice of rest in God in our lives. We've got to practice it quickly. We've got to practice it quickly. Let us fear as any of you seem to have come short of it. We've got to practice, prioritize the practice of God's rest. Secondly, we need to have faith in God. Faith in God is the practice by which we receive rest. We've got to continually practice placing our faith in Jesus. We do it one time initially for the salvation of our lives, but we've got to practice faith day after day after day. This is not something you do one time and you're like, well, I'm content. I gave my life to Jesus, and we sit and soak, and we end up dying. We've got to get out and go. We've got to do what God's called us to do. Faith in God is the practice by which we receive rest. 
We can see some of these examples in the, new, in, in the Bible. Examples of how rest is practiced in faith. There's one that I wrote down that I thought was uh, something I learned years ago. We need to practice unfair living. Practice unfair living. And you may say, wait a minute, man. you know what I teach you that, Pastor. What, what do you mean, unfair living? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 says it in this way. Do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the laws and prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How is that unfair? While the fight fair to practice fair living is if they did it to you, you do it back to them. And a lot of times, whatever it was they did, you do it to a greater degree. But what we need to do is if someone does something evil to us, something bad to us, we don't do it back the same way and to a greater, more evil degree. We, we practice unfair living and we say, I'm going to choose to bless them, encourage them. You know, it doesn't mean that you need to be uh, taken advantage of or anything of that nature. You can remove yourself from the situation if it's that detrimental to your character, if it's that detrimental to your health. I understand that. But if you know you're going to have to be around this individual time and time again, you need to learn how to practice unfair living and do unto them as you would have them do unto you. Not do unto them as they have done unto you. You've got to practice unfair living. You also need to practice casting instead of keeping. In 1 Peter 5, 7, the scripture tells us to cast all our cares, some translations say anxiety, on him because he cares for you. So we need to practice casting that instead of keeping that. If you want God's rest, if you want to, to receive the rest that God wants for you, you've got to practice casting that on Christ instead of keeping that in you. You gotta cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So we gotta practice casting instead of keeping. And then lastly, we need to practice bearing and not burdening. So many times we burden ourselves with the things that are going on. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. So you cast those burdens, you give those to him, and then when you know that you've done that, then you've got the rest that you need so that you can bear fruit. Psalm 1, 2 and 3 says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. He prospers because he has found that rest, knowing that God's going to supply his needs, that root is, that is grounded there uh, by the streams of water is going to be able to receive all the nutrients it needs and bear the fruit because it's resting in God's provision. So we need to practice bearing and not burdening ourselves. We cast our cares on the Lord. In the latter part of verse 3, going into verse 5, it says, Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place, of the seventh day in this way. This is taken from Genesis 2 2. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And in verse 5, and again, in, in this place, Psalm 95, they shall not enter our rest. So his works were finished from the foundation of the world. All of God's works were finished then, all of everything. So we can, we can recall past uh, the wilderness wanderings and in the Eden itself, God established that rest in that place. 
God established rest in Eden. And in a sense, he's announcing that this rest has not been recently introduced, but has been available throughout the whole of man's history by faith. All this rest has always been available to anybody and everybody by faith. Abraham left earth by faith to trust God, and he found rest in them. We find this rest when we trust God. All of God's rest is accessed through faith in God, and we need to practice placing our faith in Him daily. The first part of my third point, 3A, if you will, we need to practice looking back in God's rest. Practicing looking back in God's rest takes us beyond the present. Practicing looking back in God's rest takes us beyond the present. God establishes rest uh, all so that humanity can enjoy it. It's hard to enjoy things when you're, when you're conflicted, isn't it? It's really hard to enjoy anything. You know, we just went on a vacation. Y'all know that. We just went on a vacation. It's hard to vacate uh, when everything is still burdened with you, right? You know, that's the reason why most people, before they go on vacation, they're trying to get all the bills paid. They're trying to get the house cleaned up. They want to get all the dishes washed, all the clothes washed. So when you come back, you're not coming back on those next, on that next day or the two-day or three-day travel back. You're going, oh, my goodness, the house is a mess. It's a wreck. we got to do this. we got to do that. You know, you want, when you go on a vacation, you want to make sure your mind's clear. You see, when we have the rest of God in our lives, when we, we, can, we can know that we can enjoy Him. We enjoy that vacation because all those things were done when we left. <laughs> the clothes were clean, the dishes were washed, all those things. So when we came back, we were, we were able to enjoy that trip while we were gone. See, God wants us to be able to enjoy Him, to have that rest. <laughs> and when we confess, Scripture tells us that if we will confess our sins unto Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we confess when we confess our sins to Him, we now rest easy. And we can enjoy, we can truly enjoy the relationship with Jesus Christ because we have good rest. We have good rest. And we find that rest, and I've called you to this many times, we find that rest in His substitutionary atonement. In Christ's life, His blood, His death, His resurrection. That's how we access this rest on the front end is we, we access it by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that He died that substitutionary death in our place. And He wants you to know Him. Christ wants you to know Him. That's what He wants. Look at verses 6 through 7. Since therefore it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, He designates a certain day this is going back to Psalm 95. He says this in David. Today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's saying, they shall not enter my rest is passing by. Because in Jesus, you can enter that rest today. Today is the day of salvation. Do not put off tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Scripture tells us that. So today is a word of grace. Today is a word of grace. We can go into his rest today. They could not have, they did not have a today for them. 
Back in the Old Testament, he said in Psalm 95, he's, he's talking about that. They couldn't go into that rest. But today, you and I can go into that rest. Excuse me, not, not Psalm 95, back in Exodus. They could not go into that rest. The wandering Israelites, they had 40 years to figure it out. We're not in that rest. We're not in that rest. I hope it don't take you 40 years to come to the conclusion whether or not you're in the rest of Christ. 40 years is a long time. I'm 45. I just, five years ago, bumped over that line. I mean, that was a long line for 40. Some of y'all got me doubled up already. And you know, that's a long time. 40 years is a long time. And they wondered for that long without the rest of God. Today, we can get back to the throne and the promise and joy of God. We can think about how God is so gracious to us with, specifically, today. And we can see that in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it says this, where Peter wrote, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, the promise of rest. He's He's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is God's grace today. That's God's grace today. He's not slow, some translations say, as some count slowness. He's not, he's being gracious and long-suffering, giving people who are far from him an opportunity to come close and experience that rest. And we must practice entering God's rest daily. We've got to practice entering God's rest daily. We've got to surrender our time. We've got to surrender our prayers. We've got to surrender our hearts and our minds. We've got to surrender that to Him daily, today. For salvation, today is your day of grace. For those of us who have already come to salvation by grace in Jesus Christ, Today is the day that we need to enter God's rest. We got to enter it today. We enter it by surrender. We got so many things going on. Every one of us. I thought about it when we were coming into town. I got to thinking about it. I was like, man, I got to start playing summer camp. I need to talk with. I need to talk with Emma's dad about baptism and getting that scheduled. You know, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about I need to visit. Uh, I was thinking about Miss Sharon and her surgery that she had. You know, I was thinking about all these different things. I was coming into town. I was like, oh, man. And then, and then I told Julie last night, I said, you know, next week's going to be a very busy week because <laughs> we got Memorial Day. Where it's also my mom's birthday tomorrow. So we're going to go over and spend Memorial Day with mom. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, I'll be in the office. Thursday, I'm taking Terry to uh, Nashville because she's serving with Lifeway Camps. And so Thursday, I'll be taking her up there. And then Friday, I'm going to have Friday planned. So I got two days this week. And I've got all these things to start. And so I've got, I've got to say, God, give me, some, give me some mental rest so I can focus. And I know that's my life. And I guarantee you, just about your lives are about the same. There's always something going on. You've got to find that time to find that rest. Daily. Daily, you need to find that time of rest. Look there, verses 8 and 9. Scripture tells us, for if Joshua had given them rest, going back to those that had come out in the Exodus group, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. And verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, excuse me, as God did from his. 
So point number four is this. The practice of God's rest is pictured, is pictured in creation. We know the seventh day was, was a day of rest. The promised land and from the Sabbath system. We see that. We see in verses 8 through 10, Joshua is mentioned, the Sabbath rest is mentioned, and as God did, as he rested from his in the creation account. We see that. And Joshua points to uh, Jesus, the Sabbath rest, pointing to a better Sabbath rest in Jesus, and then Christ, in, I mean, excuse me, God in creation rested from his works on the seventh day. The creation rest of God, as we've already seen, pointed to a better rest in Jesus. Points to a better rest in Jesus. No more work. God, good works flow not to gain rest, but from rest. Like I said, when we have this internal rest and peace with God, then we can bear fruit. Then we can bear fruit. Then we can enjoy the relationship that we have with Christ. But if we are constantly living in sin and dwelling in sin and never confessing our sin and being burdened and not, and not casting but keeping and not bearing fruit but burdening ourselves, we're never going to see that joy, that great relationship blossom and grow that we know we can have with Christ Jesus. So what should we do? Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We need to strive to enter that rest. It's very similar to verse 1 of chapter 4. Let us feel lest any of you seem to have come short of it. We need to strive to be in that rest. We need to be persistent. We need to be persistent day in and day out, focusing our time, our efforts on growing that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what we need to do. We need to spend time with God the Father. And how do, we, how do we do that? How do we prioritize the practice of God's rest quickly? And sure, that was my first point. How do we do that? Well, I want to tell you this. This seems like kind of a jumping off the boat into a wholly, totally different realm. Verses 12 and 13. It just seems so dynamically out of place, but it absolutely is not when you think about it. Let's look there at verses 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So this seems like, okay, here we are, we're talking about rest, going to rest, and all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden, bam, we're talking about the Bible, the Word of God. Where did this come from? I don't tell you where it comes from. It comes from if you want rest, this is where you rest. This is where you rest. When, 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 things, when things begin to get hectic and crazy, you've got to come here. You've got to come to the Word of God. When things are burdensome, when things are heavy, when things are uneasy, you come here for rest. Why is that? It's because the Word of God is living and active. It is living and active. And, and what do we know about that? It's alive. It's working. It's not a dead book. It's not a dead book. And it can, it can do all this work. It's sharp and it pierces to bone and marrow. You look there. 
while living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing, even to the division of soul and spirit. It's sharp, it cuts, and it pierces. Several years ago, I went to an event called Called to Communicate, and there were two pastors there. One was Frank Cox, he's the pastor of North Metro Baptist Church in Atlanta, and another fellow named Argel Smith. And I'm going to tell you, Frank Cox, he makes me look small. He's about 6'5", 6'6", probably weighs about 265 to 270. Big man. I mean, a big man. And uh, when he preached, it was booming and loud. And he cut. But then when Arjun Smith down here, Arjun would talk. And he would just speak to you, kind of in a real toned down kind of talk. And before you even know it, it was just like, with the word of God. He just pierced you. There's a big wailing that you can feel sometimes that word comes down and it just cuts you. And then there's times when like you don't even know it's coming. And all of a sudden it's just piercing. Yeah. And that's the way, that's the way the word God is. Sometimes it just comes down on you and you're just like so convicted. Like you can feel it. You can feel the cut. You can almost, it's, it's like a cut that's gushing blood if you've ever had that experience. And then sometimes there's just like this piercing, just like it's just like just right. That's the word, guys. It's sharp, it's piercing. And it's and it pierces deep. It pierces and it cuts deep. Dividing of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Bible, the word of God, shows who you are. It shows whether you're at rest with him or not. That's what the Bible does. It also puts us naked and exposed before God. It, it reveals who you are before God. That's what the Bible does. There is nothing that is hidden from God but exposed by the Word of God. And in conclusion today, listen, we, we have got to practice. We've got to practice going to God so that we may be in His rest. And we know that if you practice with something often, you're going to get better with it, right? You're going to get to experience it on a greater level. You'll be more victorious when you practice with it more often. And if you'll practice going into the rest of God, surrendering your prayer time, surrendering your heart, surrendering your mind, being in the Word of God, knowing that this is where, this is where we are revealed as to who we are and greater where we are. Where we are are we in His rest? We don't need to be people who fake the rest of God. We need to practice being in the rest of God. Today, maybe, maybe today you've never experienced the rest of God. Maybe today you said, you know what, I've lived a lot of life and, and I've never experienced that rest of God. Well, listen, maybe you've never experienced salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Listen, today could be the day that you do that. Today could be the day that you receive salvation through Jesus Christ. And for the first time in your life, you can truly experience what it means to have rest in Jesus Christ. And the rest in Jesus Christ is greater than any other rest that you've ever experienced in your life. I pray that today be the day that you surrender your life to Him. You confess in His Lord. You believe in your heart God raises us the dead. And you're saved. You can experience that rest. But you've also got to realize, I know I say that verse all the time, but you've also got to realize that you're sick. There's a reason why you need, I needed Savior. 
It's because I was a sinner. And you are a sinner, or you have been a sinner. We're all still sinning. So I guess you can all say that we're sinners still. But I'm a sinner saved by grace. So you've got to come to this conclusion. Am I a sinner? Yes, you are. But I can do that all day long. But until you come to the realization that in your own heart that you're a sinner, and you need saved, 